0: Good morning. It's good to be with you. If if you haven't been with us this semester, we're in a series called Joseph: Dream to Reality and the Gap Between. We're spending this semester exploring the life of Joseph found in Genesis. And this is our third week and where we left off just a couple weeks ago, we we saw Joseph sold by his brothers to traders heading to Egypt. And after they sold him, they they took his robe, the coat of many colors, and they dipped it in some goat's blood, and they ripped it up a bit. And the text tells us that actually they sent the robe on ahead of them to their father, probably with messengers, because they didn't want to deal with their father's reaction. Because what the robe looked like was that Joseph was devoured by a wild animal. And that's what Jacob, their father, believed. And he was distraught and he mourned. And we were left being told that Joseph was sold to Potiphar in Egypt. Now Potiphar, he was an officer of Pharaoh, the ruler or king of Egypt. And there's not much known about Potiphar's position other than it was important. It was part of the royal court, and now he was Joseph's master. And this is where we pick up the story this morning. Joseph as a slave in Egypt, with his dream still alive. Remember the dream that his family and his brothers would bow down to him? The dream is still alive, but it's much different. And he probably has no idea how God could even bring this about. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Genesis chapter 39. If you don't, it will be on the screen. And I want to read for us the first six verses. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Do you notice a theme in the verse, do you notice a few words that are repeated over and over again? One of the words is Lord, right? We see the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord blessed Joseph. And, and the word Lord, it, it's God's name. It's Yahweh. And so the narrator is letting us know that from the outset that while God never speaks in this story, it's clear that God's providential care is governing Joseph's life. And then there's another word. We see the word Lord, but then depending upon your translation, the word all or the word everything is repeated over and over and over again. Right? The Lord caused all that he did to succeed. Potiphar put him in charge of all that he had. All that he had the Lord blessed. That said twice. So Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge. We see all, 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 all. One commentator notes that this underscores God's unrestrained presence with Joseph and the extent of Joseph's exaltation. God's presence in Joseph's life has led to God's blessing. And we see that Joseph has been exalted, he's been lifted up. Because just a short while ago, we saw Joseph in a pit and he was sold into slavery. But he was sold to a member of the royal court. And the text tells us that he serves in the house, not in the field. So again, some symbol of favor. And not only that, but he won over Potiphar's, his master's esteem. And he became Potiphar's personal attendant. And not just that, he became the head of Potiphar's entire household. Joseph has been raised up. God is with Joseph. God just might be elevating Joseph to rule. Maybe the dream is beginning to happen. I know if I was Joseph and and I remembered the dream, I I would begin to see, oh, maybe it's going to happen. Maybe this is the path. There's finally a little bit of hope after some really hard circumstances. Maybe the dream might come to be. But here's what's so powerful about this scene, is that no matter how drastically uh, Joseph's life has changed, because it has changed. Think about it. He's gone from the favorite to having this dream to being beaten up and thrown into a pit and sold into slavery, and now he's ruling Potiphar's entire household. No matter how drastically Joseph's life has changed, God's relationship to him remains the same. Why? Why? Because that's what God promised. Remember Genesis 12, God's promise to Abraham to bless them, to be with him, and all who comes after Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now we see this promise coming into fulfillment through the person of Joseph. No matter how different your life or dreams or circumstances are, God's relationship to you remains the same as well. He is with you. His unrestrained presence is in you by the indwelling of his spirit. God is not just with you. He is actually in you, empowering you. The promise that was made to Abraham in Genesis 12, it's the promise that's made for you and for me as well because we are sons and daughters of Abraham through Jesus and his death. On the cross. So just as Joseph continues to rise from the pit, as he continues to to rise every threat that comes against him, even violence and slavery, you can do the same because God's with you. And he has and he will bless you because that's what his word says. Now, the blessing may not be how we want or how we picture, but it will most certainly be the blessing that we need. Because God wants our hearts. He wants us to be like him. That's the goal of the dream. The story continues. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Let's just just stop there for a second. Earlier in Genesis, Joseph's wife, or not wife, sorry, his, his mom, Rachel, is described as having a lovely figure and beautiful face. Do you know that Joseph and Rachel are the only two people in the Old Testament that are awarded these two accolades? So Joseph is really, really good looking. Like if I'm picturing Joseph, I'm kind of picturing Tom Holland. Uh, I just saw Spider-Man, and uh, yes, I I go to it for the acting, but man, Tom Holland is just like in everything and everywhere, right? Like he's handsome, right? No? Maybe? But right, so picture Tom Holland or whoever that person is for you. Joseph was handsome. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. Joseph is good looking. He's handsome. And Potiphar's wife says, lie with me. The only thing Potiphar has not given Joseph to rule over, his own wife is now offering herself to him. This term, lie with me, it's really succinct and to the point, and it's really portraying the brutish lust in which Potiphar's wife is propositioning Joseph. And Joseph says no for three reasons. The first reason is it'd be an abuse of trust that was placed in him by Potiphar. The second reason is that it would go against, it would harm his master. It would be an offense against his master and her husband. And here's the last reason, is because it would be a great sin against God. Joseph was a moral and honorable man who loved God. But look at, look at verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, He would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. The temptation and proposition from Potiphar's wife was not a one-time deal. It didn't just happen once and Joseph had to say no and was done, but it was over and over again. Joseph probably had interaction with her because he was over Potiphar's affairs and more than likely she herself gave joseph daily tasks to complete and she continued day after day to ask joseph to lie with her and each day joseph had to say no and finally she changed up her tactics she was like okay this isn't working so i'm not going to ask him to come lie with me i'm just going to ask him to come be with me hey come hang out let's be alone Right? She changed up her demands, I'm sure hoping to lure and entice Joseph to take that first step to sleep with her. Potiphar's wife was enticing and luring Joseph day after day, over and over again. And sometimes I like to picture, and I want to put myself in Joseph's shoes, Right? The, the pressure that he was feeling, the temptation that he was feeling, there were probably moments where, where it might have been easy to fall into the temptation, to take more for himself than had already been given. Maybe he even thought, man, if I sleep with my master's wife, maybe that provides an opportunity for more power to rule. Maybe we could team up and then take him down. Maybe my dream could happen faster. Maybe there's a quicker path to rule. Joseph very easily could have dispossessed his master, but do you know what he does instead? He accepts his God-given social standing as a slave. He was faithful. Joseph was faithful. Have you ever faced something in your life that was pretty difficult or hard day after day? Maybe it was a temptation of some kind maybe just a really difficult circumstance that just doesn't go away or maybe most difficult of all you know just the inner critic that's sometimes in our head speaking and proclaiming lies over our life maybe the temptation is to take a shortcut to your dream to what you want in the future to God's call that he's put on your life maybe it's some habitual sin that you just can't seem to shake the circumstance, it might be a death or a strained relationship or a hard financial situation or the inner critic that's usually the voice of the accuser, right, of the, of the adversary. And usually it's, it's just whispering, you're not, you're not good enough. God can't use you. Do you know all the, the sin you've committed? You'll never be able to do that. You see that person? You'll never be like them. They're better than you. And this was the situation that Joseph found himself in. It was hard to say no day after day. But then the unthinkable happened. Joseph was going about his normal day, his normal work, but there was no one in the house. And in comes Potiphar's wife into the room as she normally did. And and I wonder if she dismissed the guards and the servants that would have been around. She probably told them to go away and do something else. And she grabbed hold of Joseph's garment, another robe. The last robe he had didn't work out too well for him. And she grabbed Joseph's robe and she said, lie with me. You keep saying no, but I want you, lie with me. And I imagine Joseph's heart starting to beat really fast. Have you been in those moments? And, and it's just beating really fast, and maybe he's breathing really hard, and, and he's beginning to get nervous and scared and tempted. He's probably feeling the pressure more than he ever has because this is the closest he's come to saying, yes, I will do it. And this is the closest that Potiphar's wife has actually been to him. He, she is grabbing onto him, and in a moment of courage, Joseph runs away from a really difficult situation. But Potiphar's wife is still holding on to the garment. She has it in her hand, and and I wonder if she's feeling shocked at what just happened. Maybe a little bit rejected and ashamed. Maybe she's worried that Joseph is running off to Potiphar to tell him what really happened. But before that can take place, she lets out a scream. She calls for the guards and for the servants, and they come running to her. And she says, Joseph just tried to have sex with me, and I didn't want it. It was not consensual. Here is the garment. Here is the robe that he left by me as I screamed. And they ran to get Potiphar. And the text tells us that Potiphar burned with anger and he threw Joseph in to prison. And it seems that condemnation against Joseph has won. Ruling in the dream are once again crushed. But even in this situation and in this circumstance, Jesus or Joseph remained faithful even when it got hard. His time in Egypt started with such possibility. He he was exalted from slave to ruler of Potiphar's house. The dream was still alive and even coming true, but now he's been humiliated. He's been humiliated from the lust of Potiphar's wife, her initial request, her continued propositions, her false accusations, and now Joseph's imprisonment. Yet, in all of this, Joseph remained faithful in a really difficult and really hard situation. What is your response when things get hard? What what do you do when things become really, really difficult? When you're in the midst of temptation or a hard circumstance. Or maybe just things that you pictured would happen just aren't the way that you thought that they would be? What do you do when that pestering inner voice just continues to speak over and over and over again? What's your response when things get hard? I know maybe many of us escape reality and just binge Netflix or whatever your streaming thing is of choice. Right, maybe we go to a particular substance just so we numb our feelings, so we don't feel anything. So we go to alcohol or drugs or lose ourselves in a video game. Right? Maybe, maybe we just, we just uh, consume some form of sexually explicit content. Or we get lost in a relationship with a boy or girl. Or maybe we eat or shop. Or maybe you just buy books you don't have time to read. Sometimes I do that. I'm just like feeling bad. I'm like, I'm going to buy books that talk about my growth and then I never read them. Sometimes that's me. But what if we were faithful to God instead? What if when things got hard, when our dreams, when our pictures of the future become difficult, because they will, we rested on the fact that God is with us, and for us, and even in us. That we, just as Joseph, have God's unrestrained presence and blessing in our lives. This is risky, though, because trusting in God's providence, and His grace, and in His care in our lives, it's risky because that means we're not in control. We're not in control of what comes, and whatever comes in the future, whatever the future holds, it will most certainly be different than we thought, and it will most certainly be more difficult and harder than we thought. And if we're honest with ourselves, we tend to not like to like hard things we romanticize everything in our world, right? If you're, if you're sitting here and you're single, right, we romanticize what a relationship or a marriage would be. And marriage is great, but it's so hard. Can I just tell you that? It's so hard. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here as, a, as an underclassman and you're living in North and East or West in Covenant and you romanticize what living in an apartment could be. But can I tell you, I just read the Diamond article. Seven people in Kuiper, that will be hard. One toilet, don't know if you knew that. You have to make your own food. You can't rely on the commons. It will be harder than you think and fun. Or maybe you picture what a job will be like after you're just ready to get out of Dort and you re-romanticize the future. It will be great, but it will be hard. I remember when I was an incoming freshman to Dort, I played football and I was recruited to play football. And I'll just put it like this, Dort was not that good at football back in the day um, compared to what they are now. and, And the coaches were honest with me about that. But even though they were honest with me, I, I, I pictured and I dreamed of what my four years of playing football at Dort could be like. I pictured as a freshman coming in and starting. I mean, how good could people in Iowa be on a bad team? I mean, I'm from Texas. They know their football there. Right, I pictured that we would get better each year and then finally my senior year, we would win a national championship. Yeah, you laugh. <laughs> I laugh too. But the reality is, I came in my freshman year, we went 0 10, and I didn't start and I barely played. And then the most games we won in a season was two or three. And then my senior year, I broke my fibula and dislocated my ankle, and I was out for the season. It was literally the opposite of what I pictured. And it was hard, it was difficult. The reality of playing football at Dort was much harder than I could have ever imagined, and this is true of our dreams from God as well. Our dreams will be harder than we originally thought or imagined, and too often we just want easy or exact or instant. But Jesus did say, in this world we will face trials of many kinds and can I tell you, when you're, when, if you're in a hard season or we are going through hard things, too often our initial response is we just want to run away. We just want to escape it. We think this isn't the way it's supposed to be. But sometimes we just got to labor through the hard stuff, is what my wife would say. We just got to labor through it. Right? We can't run and escape it, but we need to actually lean in to the hardship. Because it's in the hard things of life that we get pressed and crushed. It's in the hard things that we are brought to the end of ourselves, And it's in the hard things that we actually become desperate for God because we realize we cannot do it on our own. We need, can I just say, we need more desperation our relationship with God. There's a reason why why the church is exploding all around the world, particularly where the highest rates of persecution happen, is because they have desperation. And there's a reason why in the West the church is slowly dying. Yes, there's pockets of life and vibrancy, but overall it's dying. And it's one thing, it's desperation. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we're not actually desperate for God because we think we can do it on our own. But we need to be brought to our knees and it's in the pressing and the crushing and the hardship that God brings us to our knees and he makes us desperate and we recognize our need for Jesus. It's when we are kind of naked before the Father that we can actually be clothed with the Spirit. And it's in the pressing and desperation that God gets our hearts. And it's in this pressing and desperation that God's will becomes our will. This is what happened with Jesus in Gethsemane. He went there to pray. And he said, Father, take this cup from my hand. I don't want to die like this. This is going to be hard. This is going to be hurt. I don't want to be separated from you. And he was pressed and crushed so much that he actually began to bleed while he was praying. But you know what his prayer was? you know what the point he got to? He said, take this cup. I don't want this. But God, your will be done. Jesus remained faithful even when it got hard. And this is the same place that we find Joseph. A moment of hard, day after day, pressing and temptation. But Joseph was faithful. Will you remain faithful when things get hard? In the pressing and in the crushing of whatever you're going through, circumstance, temptation, the inner whisper of the enemy, will you remain faithful when things get hard? And I'm not asking you, right, when, you, when you're in a hard situation, here's what I'm not asking you. I'm not asking you just to muster up strength to say no or push through or ignore the inner voice because here's the reality, you can't do it. You cannot do it on your own. And while that's the most difficult thing, it's also the most beautiful thing. Here's what I'm asking you to do is to stop and to rest in the promise that God's unrestrained presence is with you and even in you. To stop and rest in the work that Jesus has done, not in the work that you can do or will do. I'm asking you to begin to train your eyes to see that in the pressing, God is forming and shaping you into his image. He's getting your heart. He's making your dream and desires and wants and longings better than you could have ever imagined. But how do we do that? It's easy to say, okay, yeah, am I going to remain faithful when things get hard? But how do we do that? Here's here's the practical thing I want to leave you with is run to God's promises and word. Sometimes when I'm in a moment of temptation, sometimes when I'm in a really hard circumstance, I run to Psalm 23. You probably know it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Listen to verse 4 Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's a reason this psalm is the most well known. It's beautiful, but did you know that it's true? So when things get hard, when you're in that moment and you're not sure what to do, run to God's Word, run to His promises that He is with you, that He will not forsake you, that His Spirit lives in you. And can I just tell you, if you're in this space this morning and in a hard season and in a hard circumstance, God is with you. If you're in a hard season, if you're in a hard moment, if you're facing a temptation right now, He is forming and shaping you into His image. If you're in a hard moment, if you are in a hard season, he's not asking you to be perfect because Jesus is your righteousness. You will not be able to be perfect. He's asking you to rest in the work that he has done and is doing, not in what you can do to overcome temptation or hard circumstances. God was with Joseph when things got hard. And he remained faithful. Joseph remained faithful. God is with you when things get hard. Will you remain faithful to him in the midst of it? God, I thank you for your word and for your promises that you are with us, that we can fear no evil, we can fear no temptation, we can fear no circumstance, we can fear no lies from the enemy because you are with us. Your word comforts us. Your presence is with us. So, Lord, in the midst of the hard things we face in life, will you form and shape us to your image, for your glory, for your name's sake.